Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Well, what is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I am about, about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I am to be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. God has, propo- has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as ransom for many. Thank you, Brent Irvin. I appreciate your reading this morning. Good morning. Good to see you all. I love my TCC family. It's good to be together and to worship together, to hear you sing and to watch you worship. The name of uh, our short sermon series in September and October is uh, called That's a Stretch. And we've been trying to remind ourselves of the life that Christ invites us into when we become followers of his. And we're invited into a a life of worship. And we're invited into a, a life of community, being together with one another. And we're invited into a life of apprenticing, as we talked about last week. Learning together, being students together, growing together, and growing to be disciple makers uh, together. And this morning, uh, adopting the service model, that we've been invited into a life of serving. We've been invited into a life of serving by Christ. I have some very good friends, some of you know them, husband and wife, they used to be on our staff years ago in another church and they have now started a church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota uh, and they're a rapidly growing church plant and they named their church The Point is to Serve. Unusual. That's the name of their church. The Point is to Serve. So they're getting that message out very loud and clear that they're adopting the service model. The church Their church is built around serving, not to say they don't worship and certainly not to say that they don't make disciples, but they place a very heavy emphasis on all being involved in serving. Now, I don't think I'd have ever thought to name a church by that name. The point is to serve. But I can just imagine that they were having some great conversations one day about what would be the the heart of this new church that they were about to, to launch And I'm sure someone said, well, what is the point of all of this? And somebody must have said, well, the point is to serve. 
and it's kind of like throwing mud against the wall. It's stuck. The point is to serve. That's the point. And it's not the first thing we do, but eventually it is what we are all about, to serve. We were, we were put on the planet to make a difference. God actually made us for the reason of making a difference in the lives of other people. I know that the prevailing philosophy might be to take all you can get. In reality, we weren't made to subtract from this earth. We were made to add to this earth. We were made to bring value to this earth. In 2 Timothy, it says that it is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work, not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan. So God has touched your life for a reason. God has touched your life for a reason. And that reason is to serve him. And to be part of what he's doing in the world. You are not saved by the work that you do. But you are saved in order to serve him. God has a place for you in his kingdom. He has a purpose for you. He has a role for you. He has something for you to do. And there's nothing better than that to get you up in the morning and to get you going to realize that God has something for you. God is using you. God wants to use you. God has a place for you. And that brings great significance and meaning to life. Have you ever asked the question, why didn't God just take me home immediately after I gave my heart to him? Just kind of take me out of this fallen world, just get me out of here and get me to be with him forever. Well, he left you here because he has a job for you. He has a role for you. He, he's left you here to fulfill his purposes. You are called to full-time service, regardless of where you are, regardless of where you work, regardless of what job you have, and regardless if you're retired. You are still called. And there's still a purpose for your life every day. And that's just so motivating to get you up in the morning and to get you going because God's got a purpose for you. So I would welcome you to come with me this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, to the verses that uh, Brent read for us from verses 35 and on. Such an intriguing story. Uh, Jesus is moving along with his band of disciples, moving from Galilee, I was going to say up to Jerusalem, but probably I should say down to Jerusalem, moving from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And what is heavy on the heart of Jesus is what he sees coming to pass in very short order, the cross. The cross is looming. He's thinking about the cross. He's thinking about the events that he knows will soon come to pass. And he's, he's walking ahead of his disciples. He's walking ahead of them. And then it's almost like he stops and he pulls aside for a brief moment or two. And then he pulls his disciples in tight to let them know what's on his heart. It's like he says, listen guys, can we talk? You need to know this. You need to know what's coming. So you can at least brace yourself. We're going up to Jerusalem where the son, this is verse 33, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the law, of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. 
They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Now, this is a very difficult moment for the team. They were reeling with the words that Jesus had to say. And did you notice how he knew all those details? Wow. He knew this ahead of his death. They will sentence him to die. They will hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him. They will spit on him. They will flog him with a whip. All those details. Imagine having all those details in your mind and your heart before you come to the moment of death. And now, you have some very awkward moments. Have you ever had an awkward moment? (laughs) Have you ever had an awkward moment in a conversation? I had one six months ago. Too awkward to even tell you, really. Just awkward. In In a store. And it was like, oh, let me out of here. That's awkward. Have you ever been guilty of charging into a situation and you didn't know the context? And you came in laughing and joking and having a great time, and then you realize, oh, 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 I missed it. I didn't catch the context. I didn't catch what's going on here. A very somber mood in this place. Well, it seemed even more awkward because James and John were in the circle. And they knew the mood. And they knew the sense of gloom that was hanging over them. But nevertheless, in the next breath after Jesus says he's going to be put to death, James and John asked Jesus, Could we talk to you for a moment? You know, just something on our minds here. Nothing big. I thought we'd mention it. You got a moment, Jesus? I'm sure you must have something on your mind too, but I was just thinking about us. What do you want to ask me, Jesus says? Well, uh, how do I say this? We've been talking among ourselves, you know, and we've been talking to mom. And I don't doubt that mom's going to talk to you about this as well. But our question is this. Well, we'll just say it. Uh, When you sit on your glorious throne, we'd like to sit in places of honor right next to you. Maybe James on your left and John on your right. I mean, yeah, that's it. That's all we wanted to say. Yeah, would you think about that, Jesus? Awkward. That's awkward. Well, talk about being forward and presumptuous. They felt they deserved seats of honor. I'm so glad that none of us ever worry about things like that. We never worry about the corner office. We never ask to be served first around the dinner table. We would never ask to be first in any situation, would we? As boldly as this. And Jesus looks at them and he said, you know, you guys, you you don't know what you're asking. First of all, you really don't know. You really don't know what you're asking. Are you willing Are you able to suffer? Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? And anytime you see the word cup in the New Testament, it's always a picture of life or death. Nevertheless, James and John say, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. 
Yet Jesus says to them, you know, that's really not for me to say yes or no. That's going to be, that's going to be our Father's decision. He's, he knows who's going to be the ones that are chosen. And you see, all of this is not private. See, all of this has implications for the conversation that's going on. That it's not just between James and John and Jesus. It spills over. It has repercussions on the group. And when the ten other disciples heard what Jesus and John had asked, they were indignant, translated, mad. Well, honestly, it made them, it made them very mad. I mean, how could they? Why would they want to step out in front of us? Why would they do an end run with Jesus to get him on their side? James, come on. John, you, you would do that? John? So this is a great teaching moment for Jesus. Maybe you have these teaching moments in your life with your family, perhaps at work. There's a bit of a train wreck one day, and it calls for a time to, to debrief and a time to, a time to learn, a great opportunity to teach. So Jesus called them together and he said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials, flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can I just give you some implications of this, these few verses? Number one, serving creates a bond of unity. Serving creates a bond of unity. Whenever you serve someone, you lower the barriers and you up the connection. You increase the strength of that relationship. You promote a spirit of unity. James and John temporarily forgot the implications of their pride and their assertiveness. They forgot. They forgot what this would do. They broke unity. They had an awkward moment. They had some blind spots. Because serving is a way in which you humble yourself. You come alongside of someone else and you serve them when perhaps you don't need to serve them. And th those are the, even the best times when you don't need to serve them. But you choose to. It has a tremendous impact. And friends, think about this. How do you reach a community? How do you reach a community? Not by coming in with all the answers to rescue the community. We're here. But by humbling yourself and serving a community. How could we be more effective doing that? How can we humble ourselves and serve our community and create a spirit of unity, a sense of unity? So that's how Jesus approached it when he came to the neighborhood of the world. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if you're trying to create a climate of unity, at your place of work 
or in your home. Look for ways to be a servant. Do things without being asked. Your labors of love count in a big way and in an eternal way because they build unity. Secondly, serving encourages teamwork. I'm sure it took a little while for the rest of the ten to have a more positive feeling towards James and John. I mean, they had to work that through. They had to get over that. Because suddenly they weren't pulling as a team. They broke rank. And it didn't feel good. Serving your team. Who's on your team? Let me think of your team. Uh, Serving your team adds great value for the strength of the work that you do together. And honestly, when you think of it, we're all a team. We're all a team. We're, we're one big team at TCC. We have our little teams that we work together with uh, through the week. But when it comes down to it, we're all a big team. We're all on the same team. Uh, and really, we're all working for the same goals. We all have the same end in mind. And what a joy to help one another succeed in doing the work to which God has called us. We know what we're about. We're about the kingdom. We're about building strong men and women and young people and children. That's what we're about. We're about deepening our conversation with other communities. We're about strengthening ministry in this community so we can be used wherever God wants us to be used. We simply say, how can we serve you, God? We know what we're about, but it takes a team to put it all together. And there is something about serving that creates a sense of team. There's something about serving together that creates a sense of team. Walked in here this morning, my heart just kind of went, oh, look at the team that's already at work. They're operating. It's an amazing team. Everybody getting set up, chairs getting moved, tables getting moved, activity in the, in, in the kitchen and activity on the, on the platform here as the worship team are getting going. It's an amazing team. All the way from brunch to worship to children to sound booth to youth to greeters and ushers, and I'm missing a few. It's an awesome team of people, and that's just Sunday morning. And you should see this place through the week. It's just humming all week long. Service is the language of grace. You have to be ready to step up and serve at the drop of a hat, wherever. Your neighbor might need you. And you have to be there. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift he has received or she has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Wish we had time to unpack that. It's a great verse. Well, we say, what can I do in my neighborhood? Can you bake? Can you landscape? Several years ago, my wife looked out the window and saw our next-door neighbor laying sod. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. She said, well, don't you want to help him? (laughs) Well, I'm sure I do. I just don't know it yet. After my coffee, maybe I'll consider. But it was a good day. 
My wife volunteered me. Can you water flowers when your neighbors are away on vacation? Can you stop and say hello when you're on your walk or on your run? Serving encourages teamwork. Leonard Bernstein once said, the hardest instrument to play is second fiddle. He said, there are plenty of people who want to be first violinists, but to find someone willing to play second chair in any section of the orchestra, that's a problem. But without a second, there's no harmony. Thirdly, serving points to Jesus. Serving points to Jesus. Sometimes people don't get anywhere, uh, words don't get anywhere with people in your life. You notice that? You can talk and talk and talk and talk at people. And they just don't, they're not listening. They're not hearing your words. They're not resonating with what you're saying. Your words are not getting through. But they're ready to see your example. And when you serve without a lot of words, people begin to see Jesus. It takes time. It takes prayer. But when you serve, people begin to see Jesus. Dr. Albert Schweitzer once said, Example is not the best way of teaching. It's the only way. Love that. Example is not the best way of teaching. It's the only way. And people in your family, people in your neighborhood are watching everything you do. Over a period of time, they will become convinced that you really do have an authentic and real relationship with this man called Jesus Christ because you serve. They will be much more open to who Jesus is in your life. Do you know that experience that the disciples never forgot? That experience in John chapter 13? the evening when Jesus put a towel over his arm and uh, he took a basin of water and he washed the feet of his disciples. He even washed the feet of Judas. Pretty amazing. And when Judas was thinking about it, what he did, you know, Judas before he died, before he took his life, it haunted him because he knew that Jesus really was who he claimed to be, and Jesus really had washed his feet. So when he betrayed Jesus, it was the most awful feeling in the world. It was the most awful feeling in the world because he betrayed the Son of God. And remember, he threw that money back into the temple, and he couldn't see it in his heart anymore to say, I made the biggest mistake of my life. Lord, can you still forgive me? He couldn't see it. And whenever you wash someone's feet, metaphorically speaking, you communicate something to them about the Lord you love. And while you may not see huge ripples after any one individual act, be patient and know that the Holy Spirit is working. Be Jesus to them through your example. And then fourthly, serving brings uh, transformation. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. So serving is life-giving. Serving actually changes you. It impacts your attitude. Serving makes you a unique leader, a servant leader, which is incredibly powerful. And that's well recognized outside of Christian circles. 
Books are written on servant leadership in the business world because that's what people respond to. And you know, you really have to be careful how you serve. If you serve with the wrong heart, out of compulsion or grudgingly, you miss the blessing and you, you miss the transformation. They did a study at Willow Creek Church, you know, the, the large church in Chicago where Bill Hybels is the senior pastor. It's a, it's a huge church of over 20,000 people. It's an amazing church. Some people have criticized it, but I think very highly of it because they have been such a resource to churches around the world. They expected to find that people were fairly healthy in their church, spiritually speaking. Uh, but they did a study on themselves, and you can, you can Google this uh, under a, a book called Reveal that came out. Uh, they have a lot of volunteers at Willow Creek, an amazing bunch of volunteers. But they, they had an amazing discovery that everybody was serving so well, so faithful, but they also discovered that they were not growing spiritually like they hoped they, they might be because they had made their priority uh, serving perhaps before worship or discipleship and relationship uh, with Christ. And it wasn't that they didn't know Christ. It wasn't that at all. It was just that, that the intimacy with Jesus got, somehow got lost in the midst of their serving. You know, that can happen. You can just get on a treadmill and you can go and go and go and go and you just kind of wear yourself out and you forget you feed yourself in the process. You're just going. And I think we all have some understanding of that. And a lot of people were getting burned out. And so they had to kind of say, oh, we've got to do an adjustment here. We've got to get back to, to balance off. It's not just serving, but it's worship and it's discipleship and it's growing and it's feeding ourselves. And out of the who we are, then we, we serve. So there's a bit of a warning for all of us to remember that we serve out of the strength that God gives us in our journey with Him. And sometimes we have to say no, and sometimes we can say yes. Sometimes we have to protect margin for the well-being of our family and our own health. And I had that situation this week where I would so love to have said yes to an organization that's just saying, could you help us a little bit? And, and I would like to say yes. My heart is to say yes. But you sometimes have to say no to protect your priorities and your margin. Now, we have to be honest with that because it would be easy to say, oh, I'm just always protecting my margins. You know what I'm getting at. I'm just protecting... I can't. No, I can't. Protecting my margins. But we serve out of a relationship with Christ. And when we do that, it's quite transforming. And if you serve with an attitude of love, and you sense that Christ is the one who is receiving the glory, then the sky is the limit for what you can accomplish. And you will earn the right to be heard. It was Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Love it. Are, are you under stress? Sometimes it's helpful in just getting involved in helping other people. I heard of a pastor, I'll just tell you the story, who was counseling a woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And she was powerless against the multitude of, of uh, problems that she faced. And she asked her pastor, she said, what can I do? And uh, he asked, if I tell you what to do, 
will you do it? She said, yes. Knowing that her schedule involved a lot of free time in the week and that she loved to cook, he said, on Monday, I want you to bake some bread. On Tuesday, I want you to take it to the nursing home. I want you to go inside the common area where everybody watches TVs, TV and plays checkers, and then just pass out the bread, talk to people, stay there for at least an hour. Don't worry about not knowing anybody. You'll know them all by the time you leave. On Wednesday, I want you to bake cookies. And then on Thursday afternoon, take them to the children's hospital. Find a worker to help you pass them out to the kids who need a visitor. And then talk to as many people as you can. Stay for at least an hour. <clears throat> on Friday, come back and see me. Well, it was obvious as she left his office that uh, she didn't think much of his plan. The following Friday, uh, he was disappointed that she didn't keep her appointment. About three weeks later, she came to see him again. She had said, sorry, I, I haven't been back sooner. She said, I'm working at the cancer center every day, and I'm, I'm just really busy. And then on our Sunday school class, now, I was taking on this project together, and and I really, really have a heart and passion for what they're doing. He said, but, but you, how are you doing? How are you coping? And she said, coping with what? <laughs> she said, everything's fine. All those things I had worried about before, actually, they've kind of faded into the background. They just don't seem like they're dominating my life anymore. You know, it's possible that some of God's transforming work is done in us when we just start to serve others. We just start to look outside of ourselves and authentically invest in someone else. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for me will find it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. And we see that principle at work when we lose ourselves in service to him. And as you read the Gospels, you see over and over again that Jesus challenges us to devote our lives to living for others. Now finally, serving has a shape for each of us. That sounds a little strange, doesn't it? Serving has a shape for each of us. Uh, Jesus had a unique calling and the, his service was very tailored to who he was. Uh, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, it takes a while, but we do begin to understand that God has shaped us to serve in ways that he has made us. You know, God has uniquely formed you, and you are called to serve him in a way that best fits how he made you. I wouldn't do a good job serving as you serve, because that's not how I'm made. I'm made differently. We're all made uniquely. And he has taken, he takes advantage of how he has gifted you. He gave you abilities. He gave you interests and talents and gifts and personality. And he gave you a whole bunch of life experiences. And he blends them all together like in a big mixer. And that helps you to figure out who you are, and how you best fit in how to serve him. So ask yourself the question, how has God wired me? Who am I? How does my personality 
and my giftings and my strengths and my experience, even my weaknesses and my passion, how does it all play together into the major roles and purposes that God has for my life? And that's a big question, big topic, and beyond our scope today, but it's fascinating. And if you need to grow in this area, there's a handout in the back table. Uh, uh, Jenny has put some forms back there. You can go back there, just by the big eye back there, and you can pick up a form, and you, there's about five pages there. You can work through those pages and kind of see who you are and how God has made you to be. And, uh, and maybe that will be helpful to understanding how you were, you were wired for ministry in the kingdom. Well, adopting the service model. We're put on the planet to serve, to make a difference, to add to and not subtract from, to help build the kingdom, to serve in the kingdom. We're called to serve in the kingdom. We're called to serve all of these communities around us because that's where the kingdom wants to invade. We will keep serving here. We will seek to launch another church similar to who we are somewhere else. We see our mission as serving beyond. So I say, well, look at the purpose and significance that God has given to us as a church. He has blessed us, hasn't he? He's blessed us. He's blessed us to be a blessing. At the table of the Lord this morning is the perfect illustration of serving that he came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the bread and the cup tell the amazing story that he came to serve, he came to give, he he came to take our place. He served, and he served us so well. We have the gift of eternal life because he served us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope you have some quiet moments yet this morning where you can just, in your own heart, just just say, thank you, Jesus. You've served me so well. You've served me so well. Look what I have. Thank you for serving.